Welcome back to the Longleaf Podcast, North Carolina's top political news show from the reasonable right of center. Thankfully, the breaking news has settled down a little bit today, so I want to touch on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and that's North Carolina's education system. But first, if you're interested in getting involved in the Longleaf Podcast, drop me a line. My email is andrew at longleafpolitics.com. We're always on the lookout for podcast guests, potential co-hosts, regular segments, and sponsors. Again, that's andrew at longleafpolitics.com. Senate will come to order. Sergeant Arms will close the doors. Members and will go to their seats. Now, I write a lot about education, and it's for good reason. I covered education back at the Charlotte Observer. I also have three kids, one of whom is now old enough to be part of that public education system. But it's also vitally important to North Carolina in general. And not just because we have millions of millions of people who live here who take advantage of the public education system and, and it's a building block for a vibrant state. It's also more than 50% of North Carolina's $24 billion budget. And unfortunately, with the stakes that high, uh, it seems like North Carolina is not capable of having an intellectually honest conversation about education. Um, it always seems to devolve into partisanship. It always seems to devolve into just screaming at each other and in the the scariest part is it's not simple differences of opinion it's almost like people are speaking different languages here so what i wanted to talk about today is a couple reasons why this has happened and what we can do about it Uh, so number one I, i think the biggest obstacle to having a productive conversation about education in north carolina is that the narrative out there and that everybody on the left seems to have bought into is that North Carolina's Republican Party is out to destroy or dismantle public education in North Carolina. Um, And that's, one, it's just not true. But two, it's also difficult to have a conversation with somebody about honest differences of opinion in, in values and in priorities when you're starting out assuming that somebody is operating in bad faith. Um, It immediately puts Republicans on the defensive. Um, Now, that said, I don't think the Republican Party in general has done a very good job of communicating uh, an affirmative case um, for what they've done and what they're doing with public education. Uh, But this narrative didn't spring out of nowhere, and it's not solely um, partisanship, though that has a lot to do with it. I mean, one of the big reasons um, why there is this narrative that North Carolina Republicans are, are trying to destroy public education, which makes me laugh even just to say that phrase out loud. Um, well, there's a couple historical underpinnings for that. Number one, um, Re- Republicans were the minority party in North Carolina for, for more than 100 years until taking over in 2010. Um, and they moved extremely quickly to institute some of their policies, some of their visions for North Carolina education. And it happened all at once. It happened very fast. And with Republicans having majorities and then in 2012 winning the governor's mansion, things started to happen very fast. And that unsettled a lot of people. Change is scary um, for a lot of folks. And I don't think the rollout was always done in the smoothest way and with explaining everything that was going on. Uh, But number two, one of the first things that the, the Republican majority did in North Carolina was to kind of try to take the legs out from under the North Carolina Association of Educators, the NCAE, which is the largest 
political organization that uh, purports to represent teachers. And I say that because I don't honestly think they're truly out to represent teachers at this point. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, they So what Republicans did was, uh, for, for years, teachers were able to opt into the NCAE and have their dues deducted directly from their check. Uh, now, public, public sector lobbying is illegal in North Carolina, so they were not um, a union. They were not public sector lobbying. I mean public sector... Uh, union activity and collective bargaining. Um, so that's illegal. So what NCAE wasn't a teacher's union, uh, but what they did was they had some of the benefits of that in terms of having, being able to deduct dues directly from paychecks. So what the North Carolina Republican Party decided to do was to end that, uh, hoping that that would cripple their membership. And it didn't work. I mean, it was caught up in legal activity. Um, and the ultimate goal of trying to weaken this organization didn't work. It actually really just emboldened them and also uh, automatically set up the NCAE and the General Assembly's Republican majority as enemies. And you'll see that ever since. Um, it's really colored everything. And the nature of the media tends to highlight this and amplify this. So when you're writing about something, it's especially when you're writing uh, something in a breaking news situation, you're not going to be able to immediately have all the, the information and all the interviews lined up, you're not going to have to do an in-depth analysis of what the actual impact of one of these bills would be. You're not able to go to a bunch of different counties and say, well, tell me how this works currently and how exactly this would change and how would an individual student be changed uh, or affected by this. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. So what reporters default to is playing up the tension, playing up the conflict. And especially now that we have this, this setup where the NCAE and the General Assembly are enemies, anything that the General Assembly does or puts forward, you're immediately going to be able to call up the NCAE and get a quote saying that this is horrible for public education. And then your headline is, you know, teachers outraged over latest bill from the General Assembly. Now, that's not necessarily the case. Teachers are not a monolith, for one. So teacher, I mean, any headline that says teachers rally against X, Y, or Z isn't the case. Uh, with Like any population, you have some people who fall on one side of the spectrum, some people on the other, and then you have the vast, vast majority of teachers who may know somewhat of what's going on, but are really just people trying to do their jobs and trying to educate kids on a day-to-day -day basis and aren't really uh, super engaged in the political process. So, but that's what created the narrative, and that's what created this overall environment. Uh, now, the North Carolina Republican Party could have done a little bit of a better job of getting ahead of this. Um, maybe it wasn't the wisest move to try to take on the NCAE in one of their first legislative actions, but that ship has sailed. Uh, so, that's number one. Number two, reason why we can't have an honest discussion or or it seems like North Carolina is unwilling to have an open and honest discussion of North Carolina education, is that it's really difficult to do so just because the numbers are super complicated and confusing. So just the whole process of, of budgeting, I mean, we're talking about some, you know, 13, 14 billion dollars. So off the bat, that's going to be difficult to wrap your heads around. Um, we have something like 1.5 million public school students in North Carolina. I mean, that's when you get into those numbers, those are really hard to fathom. But beyond that, it also, um, it's really hard to track where all the money comes from. So in North Carolina, most of public education funding is coming from the state legislature, but 
there's also money that comes from the federal government. There's also money that comes from local governments. Counties often, uh, especially more urban counties, tend to give supplements um, to augment the, the money that's coming from the state government. And also counties can decide to augment it in different ways. Some people will allocate more money to teacher salaries, uh, where others will devote more money to facilities. Uh, it's just a very uneven landscape. So just trying to have a conversation about education funding in general, you're going to have a very wide disparity. And things are very, very different in Bertie County than they are in Mecklenburg County. They're very different in Terrell County than they are in Union County, for example. So there's always, you can, you're almost always going to be able to find an example to back up whatever it is you're trying to say. Uh, number two under this is that people aren't using the same numbers. Uh, and it's kind of hard to find a solution to this. So the NC Policy Watch does some of the, the closest watchdogging of what's going on in North Carolina education, which I think is great in general. But the problem is, is that the only numbers that they tend to use are not actual raw dollar amounts. So what they like to use is inflation-adjusted per capita dollars. And and this particular arrangement is set up just so it looks the worst for the people in power, for North Carolina's General Assembly. And this was specifically chosen for a reason. Um, and there's, there's reasons why this particular measure looks the worst. It's because, one, North Carolina's a rapidly growing state. We have a lot of students coming in. Um, and so these students are getting educated. They are being counted and, and enrolled in the state before their families are paying taxes. So you're having to lay out the money before you're able to bring in additional tax income from these families. Which you know, is just the lay of the land, but that's going to affect your per capita dollars. And secondly, the inflation adjustment figure. So a lot of North Carolina, so we had education funding before the Great Recession. We had it at certain levels. We were used to it. The Great Recession happened, and the whole world changed, and the political world in North Carolina changed. So you have a, a break from Democratic control to Republican control, but you also just have a completely different structure of the North Carolina economy. Um, so it's really difficult to make apples-to-apples apples comparisons in pre-recession numbers to post-recession numbers, but also you know, using the federal inflation rate is kind of a blunt instrument to try to make these comparisons. So, I mean, I, I guess I understand the philosophy behind wanting to use inflation-adjusted numbers to discuss 2008 versus 2018 or 2009 to 2019 dollars, but it's just not that simple. Um, different sectors of the economy have rebounded at different rates. Different states have rebounded at different rates. Um, so just using the, the broad brush federal inflation number is just not going to give you a very good way to discuss North Carolina education policy. Uh, but then on the other end of the spectrum, you have just raw, raw dollar amounts, and that's what the General Assembly tends to use. Um, I've used this in a number of ways uh, because it does give you the best apples-to-apples apples comparison. You can say, we, we spent $500 million 10 years ago. Now we're spending $750 million. Now, there are factors that, that mitigate that, that make that not the best measure. And that includes things that I've said before. It includes the number of students in the state. It includes the difference in what things cost. Um, but, you know, I use these numbers a lot because 
you keep hearing from places like NC Policy Watch, the General Assembly has cut funding for X, Y, and Z. They've cut funding for classroom materials. They've cut funding. They've cut per pupil spending. And I, I always push back on that because that's not true, right? They, it, weren't, it wasn't cut. Um, there's, we're spending more today on education in just about every education category than we did 10 years ago. So nothing, it's not, you know, Phil Berger is not sitting there and getting out his red pen and slashing money for these things. I mean, what's happening, you know, if you want to make the case that North Carolina is underfunding education, I mean, you can do that. I mean, you can say, you know, of this additional tax revenue we've gotten, we're not spending as much on education as we should. That's more of a subjective claim. Of course, that's not what you're going to put on your political mailers. It's not what you're going to put on your Facebook ads. It's a lot more clean cut to say North Carolina is cutting education funding. That's not true. Nothing is being cut. And I don't know how clear, how much clearer I can be on that. And that's why I get so frustrated because we're not having an honest discussion. I am up for having a discussion on whether North Carolina is properly funding education, whether they're taking our growing revenue picture, which is which is great. I mean, we're in a great position fiscally as a state. You know, I'm open for the discussion of whether we should be allocating a greater percentage of the budget to education. Of course, then you have to have the discussion of what are what are you going to cut and are you willing to raise taxes. Um, but this is the probably the biggest um, problem that I have in discussing North Carolina education with people is that we're just using different numbers. We're just when numbers are this skewed, uh, it's hard to have an open and honest conversation. Now, another part of this is how North Carolina budgets and how North Carolina, the actual process for um, divvying money up for public education. There's a lot of it that happens up front. Um, There's a lot of it that happens on a per student basis, a lot of it that happens on a per county basis or per school system basis. And then on the back end, you have adjustments after school started. So you'll have money, you know, you'll, you'll be expecting a certain amount of money. And then depending on how many students actually show up, you could get more money or you could not get as much money as you were expecting. Um, so you, you see this a lot, uh, especially with, say, classroom materials, which is a big issue right now because of Mark Johnson's proposal yesterday to actually give $400 directly in teachers' pockets for classroom materials as opposed to doing all of it through the school system. Uh, the individual school districts. So uh, Charles Jeter, uh, Charlie Jeter on Twitter actually made a very good point in that CMS was budgeting, that's Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, they were budgeting for $4 million for classroom materials when a decade before they were budgeting for $8 million. Uh, when you go into what's actually was spent and what actually was received, you see the numbers are very different because a lot of other money was transferred in. Um, you, you'll see a lot of different funds, a lot of money getting shifted around, but it's difficult. And I am somewhat sympathetic um, to some of these school districts that are trying to make plans based on moving targets, um, especially with the amount of immigration that we're having to North Carolina and with charter schools that are growing in popularity. And a lot of folks who are applying to multiple charter schools just to see if they'll get in and then may come back to the school district. I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to budget and to plan. Um, so there, I haven't heard a lot about this in a while, but I know the General Assembly was exploring different funding models for North Carolina education, and I think that might be 
um, a good idea to pursue, but I haven't haven't seen too much on this. And that reminds me, that's something that I, I meant to talk about earlier when I to talk about the narrative that North Carolina Republicans are destroying public education or, or, or making things worse for our students. In that, in general, um, there have been cases, there have been policies that uh, quote unquote hurt public school systems. Now, there's a difference. Like you can make a decision that's negative for public school systems, for county school boards, and for superintendents, and that's not necessarily a bad thing for the students. And I think. Um, you know, obviously, you want the state government to be focused on the students and not on administrators. But students don't have a very big lobbying voice for obvious reasons. They're children and they have schoolwork to do. Uh, but superintendents and school board chairmen and chairwomen do have very big voices. And they are not shy about saying this policy is hurting. You know, what they'll usually say is this policy is undermining public education when uh, maybe it's just giving families more choices. Maybe it's actually bettering education for individual students. And in this category, I'll put removing the cap on charter schools. I would say the Opportunity Scholarship Program, which gives vouchers to low-income children who want to explore private school options. I think both of those are incredibly popular among North Carolina voters, incredibly beneficial for students, but you could make the argument that they're damaging for public school districts. Now, I don't think public policy should be centered around making public school districts happy. It should be around making education the best possible for students. Uh, but that's where you have some of that breakdown. Um, getting back to actually talking about numbers, uh, I wanted to talk about teacher salaries and how this dollar figure just makes it almost impossible to have an open and honest conversation about North Carolina education. Uh, we haven't had a discussion as a state about what's fair for teacher salaries and what we're actually shooting for. Uh, so usually what, what the number that gets put out there is average teacher salary as compared with other states in the country. And, I mean, I understand why we use that number because the NEA puts out that number every year and it's very easy to see whether we're tracking up or down. But there are so many factors that go into this. Um, not the least of which is state um, state populations. I mean, bigger states are going to have a harder time funding teacher salaries than smaller states. Uh, there's different funding models. We talked about that a little bit before. But yes, northeastern states are going to tend to have higher average teacher salaries because every little town has its own school district and every single one of those little school districts has its own taxing authority. And so you have a lot of these wealthy enclaves that are taxing the heck out of their people and devoting some of that money to teacher salaries. Uh, you know, there's arguments to be, to be made that that's a, a better model. And, and obviously one of the arguments would be that it raises the average teacher salary, but it also creates greater inequality in our school districts. That's something we talk a lot about in North Carolina. And in many ways, the way we do things in North Carolina is one of the most equitable and fair. You know, in a lot of those northeastern states, wealthy school districts actually have more money. Those schools are receiving more money because their school districts are funding them at greater levels based on the property taxes they're able to charge. Where in places like Charlotte, um, the poorer schools actually receive more money 
because the school one the school districts allocate more money to it through special programs like Project Lift, but two there's also additional federal money that is going to them through the the Title One program. So in North Carolina, you cannot make the argument that poor schools are not receiving the same funding because they're actually receiving more. Um, but all right, getting back to teacher salaries, um, we also you know we have the discussion on whether the average teacher salary is fair or not. Uh, but that also fails to take into account maybe North Carolina has a lot more early career teachers than other states who are naturally going to be making less money. Um, I have yet to see a definitive breakdown on that. And North Carolina in general has been raising its early career teacher salaries, uh, which I think is smart because if we're talking about recruiting new teachers, you're not generally going to go pick off a 45-year-old teacher from Texas or whatever to come here, uproot her family or his family and come to North Carolina to teach. What you're talking about is getting the cream of the crop of new education uh, degree graduates. So having that higher entry-level pay, I think, is great. Um, but it's also just talking about the average teacher pay does not, you know, it, it gets around the discussion that I think we need to have on what do we want teacher salaries to actually be able to pay? What, what do we want? What standard of living do we want teachers to have? Um, do we want early, you know, 23-year-old entry-level teachers to be able to support a, a family of four as a single parent? I don't think that's necessarily fair because I don't think there's any entry-level job out there anywhere that's able to do that. And this may not be popular to say, but there's also no evidence that teachers get more effective after, say, year seven or eight. Um, or maybe even before that. And that's because uh, a lot of ways you kind of shake out the teachers by that point. If you make it to that point, you're a teacher, you're in it, you're invested in it. You probably got some early good performance reviews. You're committed and you've kind of, and you've honed your craft. Uh, but beyond that, there's not any data or any evidence that teachers get better and better as time goes on. And our method of compensating teachers is based solely on longevity at this point, or for the most part. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily prudent for North Carolina to give the top salaries to only 30-year career teachers. I think we want to give our top salaries to the best teachers. Now, we can have a discussion on what's the best way to determine that, and I don't think test scores are all, you know, the be-all, end-all for that. Um, but I, you know, I, I always go back to this. So I started my career in journalism as a night cops reporter in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I was paid not very much money, and that was fine. You know, to earn more money, I took on different responsibilities. I took on higher-profile beats in my newspaper career. I went to a bigger paper. Um, I added editing responsibilities. I eventually uh, became the editor-in-chief of a publication and got a pay raise there. I mean, that's how the world works. You work your way up the ladder, and you make more money, and you you don't necessarily expect to stay in the same role and make substantially more money staying in that same role. You don't stay in an entry-level job and expect to make $80,000, $100,000 down the line. That's not to say that teachers, no teacher should make $80,000, $100,000. I think there are circumstances where that would be effective. But I, I really believe that we in North Carolina need to have this conversation on how do we how do we use the career ladder approach to incentivize good teachers to stick around and how do we compensate them more? We've started to do that a little bit 
um, with the multi-classroom leader model um, that Charlotte's done and a number of other counties have done where you actually give teachers a way to stay in the classroom and take on more responsibility, spread their impact, um, and make more money, which I think is fantastic. Now, the problem is um, this doesn't always work because schools tend to take that money and divvy it around. So, for example, I know of a school here in Charlotte where they had MCLs. They had multi-classroom leaders, great teachers, who were able to spread their influence to other classrooms and reach more kids. And this person, I'm thinking of one in particular, uh, she got taken out of that role and made an art teacher because that school needed an art teacher. I'm not saying that art teachers aren't important. They are important. Uh, but that defeats the purpose of what we're trying to do as a state as to have these teachers reach more kids and earn more money in the process. Uh, but of course, when we're just talking about average teacher pay at the average teacher salary, we're not having any of these discussion, any of these discussions. And I think it's damaging to the state as a whole. Now I know I'm running a little long, but there's one more topic I wanted to touch on why we can't have an honest, open discussion on education in North Carolina politics. And that's because we do not have any body that's actually giving us a good view of what teachers want and what teachers are saying. Now, this is difficult because teachers are not a monolith. I said that earlier, and it's still true. But the only voice that we hear in the public right now is the NCAE, the North Carolina Association of Educators, and they are not an accurate representation of teachers in general. They are a blatant partisan organization. They are anti-Republican. They are anti-conservative. They are reflexively anti-conservative, and they are going to oppose anything that's put forward from this General Assembly without even looking at it. I mean, I know I see some stories where um, it's something pretty innocuous and good, and the quote that you'll get from the NCAE is, uh, well, we don't know all the detail. This is troubling and concerning. We're going to be following this closely. Um, you know, just some nonsense like that. Now, so what do we do about that? How do we get so more teacher voices are represented? How do we get it so we are actually getting a better view of what teachers actually think about this? Um, I, I don't have all the answers. I think that there was a period of time where we had, I think uh, James Ford, uh, who was here, a teacher here in Charlotte, who was named the state teacher of the year, I thought he did a really excellent job of traveling around the state, talking to teachers, and actually communicating those priorities in a reasonable way. Now, Mr. Ford is uh, an extremely talented individual, and we can't ex and he was well suited for that task. I don't think we can expect the teacher of the year to always be that you know have that skill set, nor should we expect them to. Uh, some teachers um, are better work better in a classroom setting. That's why they're the teacher of the year. I mean, not everyone is is cut out for lobbying and for for direct representing of all teachers in the state. Um, now, I could see, uh, I, I would love it if there was some sort of bipartisan council of teachers or some, I don't even know how you'd set it up and try to keep politics out of it, but some body um, where teachers actually have more of a say and actually reflect a diversity of viewpoints. I mean, at the NCAE, you're, ne you're never getting any statements that say some teachers say this, some teachers say that. Um, you just get the one, it's essentially an opposition to whatever the General Assembly is doing. Well, um, that's all the time we have for today. I apologize for going over our time, but you can tell that I get really riled up over this topic. I think it's incredibly important. 
Uh, we're going to be talking more about it in the coming days, weeks, months. Um, but please let me know what you thought. Uh, what? Tell me if you think I'm wrong. I'm perfectly willing to accept that I'm probably wrong on some things because nobody's right about everything 100% of the time. But I will say that I spent a lot of time researching this. I think my opinions are well-based in fact. Uh, I try to avoid getting tangled up in strictly partisan arguments. Uh, the reason why I, I often come out defending Republicans on this in particular is because I think they're given, they're painted with an unfair brush in the media and the state in general. And that's probably not going to change anytime soon. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Drop me a line, andrew at longleafpolitics.com. Make sure you hit subscribe to this podcast. We are trying to do a new podcast every day on a hot topic in North Carolina political news. The best political commentary from the reasonable right of center. I'll see you soon. So many in favor of that motion will say aye. Those opposed, no. The ayes have it. The Senate stands adjourned.